Well, it's Memorial Day weekend, and of course, there's a very serious side of this, but there's also kind of a, a food, a picnic-y side. And um, I don't know what your favorite food is, but there was a survey done, they do these things every year about Americans and what their favorite food is. And here's what the list looked like. Americans' top 10 favorite foods. Uh, potato chips were on the list for number 10. Donuts, ice cream. Uh, maybe you're rating those in your own world. Uh, chicken tenders, I found that just bizarre, but what do I know? Uh, sodas and soft drinks, number six, and then we get to the big ones. Number five. Now, I was a little surprised that, that was number five. I thought it would have been, you know, closer to number one. Uh, after pizza, number four. I'm just curious, how many of you, you would have put Orioles, number four? Oh, okay, so something. So I just thought that was really strange. I always thought it was like a punishment when I was a kid to have to eat Orioles. But any, anyway, uh, fries, I kind of understand. Um, and then I didn't get this one. Now, don't get me wrong. I can eat a hot dog in a heartbeat, but, but it's not going to be my favorite food. How many of you, you eat a hot dog, but it's not your favorite food? See? Yeah, I don't. And then this one, I do, I do kind of eh, hamburger. Hamburger was the number one. Now, uh, one of the things we do in this church we've done for a long time is the the elder team and our pastoral team once a month we get together really early on uh, with fr Friday mornings and we go to IHOP and um, I I've got this regimen you know I, I get the chicken fajita omelet with now they offer protein pancakes I get the protein how many know about, know about the chicken fajita omelet that's a bad rascal, man. You, you can't beat the chicken fajita omelet, but the protein pancakes make it even better. Now, are, are you just a little hungrier than you might have been when I first started? Just a, just a little bit, because that was my goal. <laughs> my goal was really to arouse your appetite just a little bit. Because we're going to continue in our series uh, where we're dealing with biblical paradoxes. And what I've said week in and week out is that sometimes spiritual truth seems paradoxical to us, because we're sense-governed creatures uh, primarily, and we don't know how much we don't know because of being just sense-governed. We also don't know how much Jesus does know, so some of the things that he says to us as truth, they sound counter to truth. A paradox is something that is true, even though it may sound like it's not true. So we've been looking at some of these biblical paradoxes, and today we come to this one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst but for righteousness now hunger and thirst these are not pleasant feelings you know when you're really really hungry now most of us as Americans we probably um, probably for the most part don't know what it feels like to be truly hungry for example you um, you can go without food anywhere from 30 to 70 days depending upon what your size is I, I don't know that I would last that long but you can go without water though anybody tell me yeah, three, maybe four, maybe, maybe. So these are primal hunger and thirst. These are powerful drives that we have in us. But Jesus says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst uh, after righteousness. Now, again, this is written in uh, the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And what I said in a message before, the Sermon on the Mount has been greatly misunderstood. Some have looked at the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly the Beatitudes, as like these Beatitudes, these are like the new laws of the kingdom, or this is like Moses giving the Ten Commandments, or this is like what you have to do to be saved, or this is like virtues that we as Christ followers have developed. None of that was Jesus' reason. None of it in giving the Beatitudes. Uh, when Jesus started his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount, it was a massive corrective. The Jews in Judaism 
had been misled by their leaders to uh, involve themselves with a false depiction of God. It was really kind of a satanic, slanderous depiction of God, a God that you just need to figure out what he wants you to do to get him off your back and on your side, an appeasement-based religion. They didn't like God. They didn't trust God. They endured God, and they were ceremonially and ritualistically committed to trying to keep God off their back and on their side now we, we've modernized this and so you, you've probably met certain people that they believe that if they uh, go to church regularly for example that that'll keep God off their back and on their side or if they give certain amounts of money or maybe if they recite prayers or maybe if they read some Bible every day whatever it is it's all the same it's this appeasement based religion which shows a very very deficient image of God if God is this relationally stunted being that we can just recite some prayers or give some money or show up someplace and, and that's all, it, all he needs to be uh, completely pleased with us, well, then he's relationally deficient. So Christ comes to shock the populace of the day, to jolt the religious leaders that were teaching a false depiction of God. And in the Sermon on the Mount, particularly the Beatitudes, it's Christ saying, you're not seeing God for who he is and you don't know how he thinks and so Jesus comes with three and a half years of a massive corrective. He starts the corrective in the Sermon on the Mount. So next time you read that, maybe that'll help you. So he says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be fully satisfied. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying cultivate this attitude in you and that will make you virtuous in my sight he's not saying that Jesus is looking at humanity and he knows the way that the religious leaders of his day viewed people they viewed people being blessed by God if they were prosperous if they were influential and things of that nature Jesus is saying you want to know who, who's blessed by God you want to know who God's impressed with you want to know who, who the favor of God is upon it's these individuals that just kind of fit into a crowd and you don't know who they are but they are they are those that are hungering and thirsting for righteousness now it, it brings up the question in our day and age what's righteousness because we are comfortable today with um, a society that pretty much says hey man righteousness is whatever you make it you know truth is your truth it's whatever is true to you that's what truth is but that's not the way the scripture perceives truth for, for example if I were to take this guitar I don't know how expensive it is so I won't touch it but if I were to take this guitar and hold it up and ask you guys what are some uses multiple uses that we could have for this guitar well you could easily come up with some you could say well it would make a good baseball bat it might make a good club if somebody breaks into your house if you had a canoe it might make a good or you know so we could come up with all these uses for the guitar but, but then if the creator of the guitar stepped forward, the creator of the guitar would confront us and say, you know, you're kind people and you have a lot of imagination, but every one of you is wrong. The right use, there's only one right use for a guitar and here's what the right use is. And the creator of the guitar would show what the singular right use is. Who gets to determine, who is fit to determine what is right and what is wrong? Well, it has to be somebody that has all knowledge, all wisdom, all power, 
Their character has been proven to be pristine, unselfish, good, totally trustworthy. That's the person, the creator is the right person to determine what's right and what's wrong because only the creator really knows what the item was created for. So this gets us into some some realms that today are not that popular. It's the idea of absolute truth. And the scripture, the God of scripture, necessarily is a God of absolute truth. He says that there are certain things, they are absolutely, there's the one right way that this is to be handled, this is to be used. There is true truth, and it doesn't matter what people's opinions are. I'm just curious, how, how many of you know your name? Can I just say, I want to make sure. Yeah, you, do you know your name? I look in the mirror, and sometimes I'm a little whiffy. You know, I'm, that's, that's my test every morning. First of all, the first part of the test is, yes, you're breathing, once again. <laughs> Second part of the test is I go and look in the mirror and say, yes, I still know who that is looking back at me, okay? You might want to try this, some of you. Okay, but you know your name. But just suppose I could get all seven and a half, nearly eight billion people of the world, and, and we gather them in some kind of arena. I don't know what it would be. And they all say, you may say, what, what is your name? Lexi. Lexi. You may say your name is Lexi, but seven and a half billion of us say, no, your name is Samantha. Are you going to argue with seven and a half billion of us? You should. You should, Lexi. <laughs> because you know who you are do you not okay so you and I we're not being arrogant we're not being arrogant Lexi when we say we know who we are and we're not being arrogant when we defy the rest of the world and say you're all wrong my right name is whatever it is so God determines what is right and what is wrong what is an appropriate usage for something and what is an inappropriate usage this is not popular today so I'm, I'm trying to help you so that we can in, a, in an age where they keep moving the goalposts, keep moving the targets keep telling us well that used to be that used to be right but it's not anymore T today this is what is appropriate and this is right and they're trying to tell us you know how to talk in a different way and how to address people in a different way no the creator is the only one that can say what is the right so when we're talking about righteousness Jesus said blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness blessed are those that hunger and thirst after God's will and God's ways being that which fills our hearts individually and corporately fills the earth that's what he's talking about blessed are those who hunger and thirst now why are they blessed they're blessed because of God-given awareness so when Jesus looks down and he says, you want to envy somebody, you, you want to consider somebody fortunate, you want, to, you want to see who's blessed, it's that person that you might easily overlook, but they are, they are wrecked inside. They are so hungry, so thirsty for God's right ways, God's right to be done in themselves and in the world that they're, they're disturbed about it. So this is because they're aware so Jesus is looking down and he's saying, you want to know who's blessed? It's, it's those that are aware. Now let me take you through some scripture and show you why this is so important. Psalm 36, 9, it says, speaking of God, it says, you are the source of all life and because of your light, not life, but light, we see the light. What is this talking about? Remember, Jesus said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be fully satisfied. This passage is saying that you and I can only see to the degree that we are living in God's light. How do we live in God's light? We have to have God's perspective. We have to know how he thinks, how he views things. We can't find that unless we are in his word and his word gets in us. 
How many of you in here, you may not have perfect vision, but, but you can at least see me. Can I see your hands? <laughs> so beyond hearing me, you can actually see me, okay? So your eyes are functional. However, if we were to turn off all the light in this room, it, it can get really, really dark in here. I, I mean, when you take off a light, I've tried to walk through this auditorium before when the lights are out. I'm telling you, it will rip you to shreds. You, your, your ankles and shins will be a mass of bruises I have tried. I literally flipped over a chair one time <laughs> in here. So my point is this. Even though we have the capacity to see, we won't see unless we have sufficient light. In your light, Psalm 36 says, we see light. Unless I put myself in the proximity of God's light, unless I put myself where I can be a recipient of God's perspective, seeing things the way that he says he sees things, and I can only do that in his word, unless I do that, even though I have the capacity to see myself, see life the way it is, I won't see myself or life the way it is because I'll lack light. In God's light, we see light without being in his light. So Jesus says, blessed are those. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus is saying they're, they're aware. They're aware that something's wrong. Something's wrong in the world. Something's wrong in themselves. They see. And the only reason they can see is because they are making themselves open, available. They are seeking the perspective of God. They're making themselves available to God's input in their life. And so Jesus says, you see that person over there? They're open to God they're seeing reality and you can't see reality unless you go to the source of reality which is God himself so that's why he's saying blessed are they now let's take this a little further Romans 12 2 it says do not conform don't be molded don't be shaped don't blend in don't be like the crowd do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Once again, we get into God's light. We see things from his perspective. His light starts to influence us. Even though we have the capacity to see, we won't see, we won't discern, we won't know right from wrong unless we spend that time in God's light. But this verse is saying there's something wrong in the world. Now, <laughs> typically, the way we have lived a lot of our life, probably a lot of us, is that we, we see you know what's going on in the world what what's popular what's everybody doing and whatever the majority are doing we kind of feel safe going along with that i mean nobody in here is is, is wearing bell bottoms anymore you know, like we did in the 70s or platform shoes or anything like that, right in the 70s you wore goofy things because everybody was wearing goofy things so we we try to blend in and we feel on some level inside, well, you know, everybody, that's what the majority of people think, Randy. That's what the majority of people do today. It's a new day. It's a new time. The majority can't be wrong. I mean, God, God's not going to be displeased with the majority. I guess they never read Genesis chapter 6 because in Genesis 6, he was displeased with the majority except for one guy by the name of Noah. So, Jesus says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. He's saying, because they are aware there's something wrong in this world of ours. And I'll bet you every one of us in this room in this past year at some point have either had a fleeting thought or a very pronounced thought. There is something so wrong, man, so wrong with our world. I mean, just like this incident that just occurred, but that's just, that's just one. These kinds of horrific things happen all the time. I bet you have been inundated with stories of broken hearts and broken lives tragedy after tragedy physical psychologically relationally 
we just have so much compelling evidence there is something wrong it shouldn't be this hard bet you you've thought that thought at least one time in this past year it just shouldn't be this hard and it shouldn't it shouldn't but I want to balance that but it is and we have to come to grips with reality God is allowing evil for a little while so that he can abolish it forever while evil is being allowed it will be hard we must adjust to that God will tool us sufficiently for it but we still recognize or I hope we do on some level it shouldn't be this hard I mean why can't people just be kind why can't they be fair why can't they be open-hearted why can't they be accepting why can't they be loving why can't they be generous we could just go on down the list these thoughts go through our mind Jesus said blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness you see there is something wrong in the world the world is not as it should be therefore scripture urges us don't blend in don't go along to get along and this is becoming more and more crucial in our day and age you must I must we must have the perspective of God and we can't have the perspective of God unless we go to the word of God saturate ourselves sufficiently with it that's what it means to renew our minds we start to see life from God's perspective in his light we see light and then once we see what is right in God's sight and true you and I need to ratchet up our courage because we're living in a day and age where we're going to be we're going to be pushed we're going to be pushed more and more and more and we're going to be looked upon as troublesome people because we hold to a narrow point of view but if it's true inevitably it is narrow so there's something wrong with the world let's go let's take it a little bit deeper now it's one thing to say is to have enlightenment that there's something wrong with the world blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness I recognize the world is not righteous it needs righteousness it needs correction it needs redirection but now it gets personal now it gets uncomfortable as it is written there is no one what is the word righteous I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness maybe but, but I, I on some level am told by God I'm not righteous there is no one righteous not even what does it say not even one not me not you not the Pope not any human being no one righteous in other words no one has maintained the image that God initially created us in we, we have we have all lost to some measure that image we're we're not right how many of you ever you ever had somebody say to you man you're not right <laughs> look at your neighbor and say you're not right you're not right <laughs> no, no. but it's true we're not there's no one righteous none of one for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God now we, we read this verse rather mechanistically in in church world you know it's, yeah, yeah, yeah nobody's perfect everybody's sin but but this part of it where it says we fall short of the glory of God what it is saying that when Adam and Eve were first created they were full of the glory of God their lives were meant to be an expression and an extension of the life and the love of God to the whole planet my life your life was meant to be an extension and an expansion of God's love and God's life to the rest of the planet but but I'm a broken conduit according to this and you're a broken conduit hence Jesus says <laughs> blessed are you if you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness you you know there's not just something wrong with the world there's something wrong with me and that's a hard truth it, no, let me be honest with you almost anybody can read those passages and usually the way we come off is we, we say things like well yeah I, I mean nobody's perfect Randy no I mean I'm I'm not perfect you're not perfect 
That's a big difference in looking at that verse and saying the, the loving God who made me to be like himself with the capacity to live the way he lives, to feel and experience life the way he does, to love the way he loves, I have so ruined on multiple levels I have so broken down what he's given me that, that I'm no longer a trustworthy conduit. I, I, I'm sometimes there. I'm sometimes a good expression and extension, and I'm sometimes not. And, and so we look at sin kind of blasé, but, but sin is, is a tragic report. Let, 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 let me help you understand. Sometimes people get this notion that, you know, man, I'm not hurting anybody other than maybe myself and frankly I'm doing some things that God says we shouldn't do or I'm participating but it's not bothering me any and, and so what's the big deal nobody's perfect anyhow how many of you have ever loaned your car to somebody before you ever loaned your car so you loan your car and technically let's, let's look at this technically um, during the time that you loan your car to them the car is essentially theirs to use the way they want to use it it's, it's, you know, you're giving it to them for a short season, maybe a day, maybe a week or something like that. So you loan your car to them, and you know they're going to have a private use for it. You, you understand. You don't, you don't even maybe want the details. They just need it. But then they take your car that you loaned to them, Lexi. You loan them their car. <laughs> and uh, they put it in a demolition derby. And then they bring it back to you on a truck. It's all bent up. It's, it's completely wrecked and they say here's your car and you're like whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa wait, wait 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 well wait a minute what do, you, what do you mean what's the problem it's your your car I have loaned it I brought it back yeah but when I loaned it to you it was still my car no wait a minute you mean you really didn't loan it to me then it was really never mine no it was yours but I expected you to treat it the way it was designed to be treated I expected you to take care of it the way I would take care of it I loaned it to you I didn't give it to you if I had given it to you then you could have put it in the demolition derby but I just loaned it to you it was still mine nachos <laughs> First Corinthians 6 19 it says that we are bought with a price that our bodies even are not our own therefore we are to glorify God extend his expression extend his, his love and his life in the universe we are to glorify God with our bodies and our minds we get this notion that you know we can do whatever we want with our time and our talents and our treasure and our bodies and our minds and our relational uh, interactions with people but the truth is God owns us and he loans us these wonderful gifts let me look at it from another angle because I, I, I know when it comes to this thing of owning that there's not just something wrong in the world there's something wrong in me this is an uncomfortable thing but according to Jesus if I'm going to hunger and thirst after righteousness I have to recognize on some level I actually am deficient in righteousness that there is something critically wrong with me and that if Christ himself does not rescue me I am absolutely going to come unglued I'm going to be destroyed I'm, I'm going to run out of life whatever term you want to use but some of us when it comes to this thing of sin right now we're, we're feeling uncomfortable so what is sin let me, let me help you define it sin is simply the creator revealing the appropriate use for something to you and I and then we either knowingly or unknowingly misuse 
uh, whatever it is. We may misuse our time, our talents, our treasure. We may misuse our sexuality. We, we may misuse our ability to, to verbalize. I mean, there's all kinds of things we can misuse. So sin, it's God saying, this is, the, this is the right way. This is the guitar. This is the one way this was designed to be used. It was designed to be used like this, not, not like this. So God says, this is the one way, the right way, the best way, the only way. And you and I, either knowingly or unknowingly, we, we misuse something. Now, when we misuse something, we feel initially some discomfort, but then usually we rationalize, legitimize, we compare it to other people, and we, we try to get that, that conscience function, function where it's not so bothersome. Now, there are some people in our lives that um, are picture people. They're always taking pictures. How, how many of you got picture people in your life? Yeah, every time you take snaps. So they're, they're snapping pictures all the time, sometimes selfies. I don't understand that at all, but anyway. They, uh, my generation, we don't understand selfies. We, we just don't, but uh, tolerate us, you, you younger people. Um, but they're taking pictures. Have you ever had somebody snap your picture <laughs> and, and they catch you in one of those, <laughs> you know, and you look at it and you're like, that's not me. That's not me. You caught me in an ugly moment. That's not me. But isn't it you? Yes, it is. It's you. It's me. It is us. But, 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 but that's not the way I normally look. You caught me in an ugly moment. So it is with sin. We have some ugly moments in life. Sometimes those moments are, are long seasons, let's be honest. And when we see the photo, when something reminds us of the photo, we are extremely, extremely uncomfortable. And, and, and something wants to come out of us and say, but, 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 but you don't understand, you don't, you don't know the details. I, that, that's not who I am regularly. I wasn't myself. You caught me at an ugly moment. And that's true. Now, here's where this thing gets tricky. There are some people, there are some people that will develop, compile an album of photos, as it were, of our lives. You say, Randy, what are you talking about? I, there are these people that, that they have this knack for catching us at our ugly moments in life and remembering it with, with precision. And they never forget it. And, and we may protest, but wait a minute, wait a minute, that was an ugly moment, but the, I'm not that way normally the vast part of my life. But they're like, no, that's who you are. That's who you'll always be. And they, and they just bring that album out, and they say, you know, here's one ugly moment and another ugly moment, another. But you say, but well, why don't you have any good moment? Wait, wait, because that's, that's who you are. Well, that's who I am, but that's not exactly the whole story. And these people will try to lock us in a prison of condemnation and brand us and make it where we cannot ever be forgiven, cannot ever change, cannot ever grow, cannot ever be acceptable again. They lock us in, they brand us, it's done. But there's something worse. And some of you are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of us, without even meaning to, we do this to ourselves. We are the ones that take the photo of the ugly moment and we compile an album of ourselves and we use it to regularly punish and torment and torture ourselves and, and we go through life struggling with this this feeling of condemnation that we can never quite shake now jesus he came pronouncing forgiveness of sins he went so far he said i'm going to go to the cross to let you know how certain it is that i love you i am for you your sins are forgivable 
but we've got to deal with sin in here the way that Christ deals with it from the cross and sometimes we keep that photo album and we live we live with mountains of condemnation we, we see the, the one moment where you know we had that kind of face instead of all the other moments where we were very different and we were growing and we were developing and so forth so I'm sharing this with you because I know this is a highly sensitive subject and sometimes Christians look at sin just purely judicially it's like well you know heaven or hell if I do this at least I won't go to hell so it doesn't really matter so much that's a really poor image of yourself and of God and of life if that's where you're at sin is that which is destroying us it is a misuse and God comes to rescue us in Christ so he can enable us to experience life in its fullness which can only be experienced when I'm living the way God himself lives he doesn't ask anything more of me other than to live the way he lives and to learn to love the way he loves and when I do that I will increasingly experience these things that the Bible talks about like peace and joy and energy and enthusiasm and purpose and meaning and, and all these various things okay so there's something wrong in the world Jesus said blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness because there's something wrong in the world but man there's something wrong in me I am a part of the world. I am part of the sickness. I am part of the cancer. I have contributed to the agony of the human situation. Can you own that? Because I'm, I'm, I'm confessing to you. I own that. I, I know what it is to, to sit in excruciating pain and have the light of God pouring in on my soul, my life, and seeing not only those ugly moments, but the motives that were behind the ugly moments and, and seeing something so dark and decadent in myself that could I run from my own skin and just disappear forever? I would. Don't know if you've ever experienced that, but if you do, I can guarantee you one thing, it will produce. It'll either produce a desire to extinguish your existence or you will hunger and you'll thirst after righteousness. Choose that one instead so there's something wrong in the world there's something wrong in me then it goes on it gets even more uh, compelling as far as a practical daily uh, component of life he, he says Paul says I, I know that that good does not live in me wait a minute wait a minute Paul I, I'm a little bit good that, that bad photo of me is that's not the way I look all the time I know that good does not live in me that is in my human nature what do you mean Paul I'm confused for even though the desire to do good is in me I am what does it say not able to do it and we all know this phenomenon I don't have to ask for hands we, we set out to do something good we say I'm never going to say that again I'm never going to do that again I'm always going to do this from now on and we find there's not the power for consistency in us he says the desire to do good is in me but I'm not able to do it oh what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death that's the hunger and thirst after righteousness when, when we sit and we allow the light of God to pour in on us sufficiently to the point that it's uncomfortable and we see that not only is there something deeply wrong in me but I am to some level incapacitated to do the right that I hunger and thirst to do now this, this is not a condition that you get stuck in because if you go on to read the very next verse he says I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord that I'm, I'm no longer bound to this the whole chapter 8 talks about the capacity the guy gives the, the Christ follower to live above 
the old desires but it's a progressive and a messy thing but it will cause you to hunger and thirst after righteousness Jesus said blessed is the person that's hungering and thirsting after righteousness because they're seeing life as it is they're seeing the world as it is they're seeing themselves as they are but they're seeing it in God's light if we don't see ourselves in God's light we'll fall under condemnation and, and we'll never progress we'll never grow we'll, we'll never experience the deliver, deliverance that God wants us to, to experience all right let me share something interesting with you this is an old Arabian proverb supposedly he who knows not and knows not he knows not he's a fool shun him he who knows not and knows he knows not he is simple teach him he who knows and knows not he knows he's asleep <laughs> wake him and then he who knows and knows he knows he is, a wise, he is wise, follow him. Now, I don't know of any human being that I would call wise other than Jesus himself, who was both God and human sufficiently. That's why back at age 23, I chose to follow him and continue to follow him this day. Everyone of us in this room, you've heard me say this before, is following somebody as we sit here. We have put our trust either in ourselves or somebody else, and we are following either ourselves or someone else, or we have put our trust in Christ and are following him that's what it means to be a Christian I put my trust in Christ I become his follower I cease to live my way by my ideas and desires I gladly learn his ways and will through his word and I now gladly put them into practice and they start to conform and transform my life from the inside out all right so we're blessed because of awareness she said blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness they're, they're aware they see the truth about life they see the truth about themselves but there's more to it than that they're blessed because of a God-given assurance he said blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be fully satisfied here's the promise of God that that righteousness that I hunger for to exist everywhere in the world it will here's that promise of God that that righteousness that I want so desperately to exist in me that it will it's an interesting thing what we would um, try in life if we knew we would succeed just just think about it for a moment what would you try if you knew you couldn't fail what would you try if you were guaranteed of success um, it's an interesting thing for example if if um, some of the greatest guitarists in the world somebody like uh, eric clapton or jake Kriska, how many know who jake Kriska is young blood you don't know you don't know about a Greta Van Fleet band named Greta Van Fleet? He's a, Jake Kriska is a bad young player, man. He, he's one of the greatest young guitar players in the world. Um, if you or I were to go to Eric Clapton or, you know, Jake Kriska, and, and they said, I promise you, if you'll let me train you, I'll make you one of the greatest guitar players in the world. I promise you, if you'll follow me, I'll make you one of the greatest guitar players in the world. Now, you may not desire to play guitar, but what I'm trying to get you to think about is what would you do if somebody promised you you could not fail? And that's a very revealing thing about ourselves. But because the, the right answer, the right answer is the answer we might not initially come to, is that I would be like Christ because if you become who you were meant to become, you'll be able to do what you were meant to do and if you have those two things happening, you're going to experience the highest quality of life that anyone can experience, and you're going to be able to give to others the best that any human can give. So that, that would be the right answer, and that's the answer that we have in Scripture. Blessed because of a God-given assurance that we will become one that is righteous, doesn't just hunger 
and thirst after righteousness. And this is, this is really encouraging stuff. Let, let me show you some verses. Romans 8, 29. It says, God knew from the beginning who would put their trust in him. He didn't cause it to happen, but he knew it would happen. Uh, one, one of the things I do every year <laughs> in football season is I record um, the games because I'm no longer going to spend three hours watching a one-hour game. How many of you do is new? You can watch a game in one hour. One hour. You're watching two hours of commercials if you spend a normal three hours. So I record the games, and I tell people, don't, don't, don't tell me to score. Don't tell me to score. Now, let's say you, you watch the whole three hours. You, you watch two hours of commercials because just because you like to do. And, uh, but you know how the game ends. Now, I'm saying, no, 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 don't tell me. You could tell me before I know. You could tell me what the score is. But you didn't cause that score, did you? You're just reporting what you, what you saw. When it says that God knew from the beginning who would put their trust in him, God has something called foreknowledge. He's outside of time. He knows each of us as we sit here today, which ones will put their trust in Christ and become his followers, and which ones of us never will, no matter how many times he pleads with us. But he doesn't cause it. He, he, he doesn't, there, there's a crude and a harsh and a terrible form of teaching in Christianity that says that God is like this giant puppeteer and he foreordains each and every one of us and everything we do and that we have no free will. And this is just not supported by Scripture at all. So God knew from the beginning who would put their trust in him. So he chose them and made them to be like who? His son. This is, this is tremendous news. If I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness and I'm struggling, I'm, I'm in those areas where I want to do the will of God and I keep two steps forward and three steps back, this is telling me God promises me he is going to do the work in me, whatever needs to be done. He's not going to leave me. He's not going to forsake me, nor you. He's going to continue working with me, in me, until I become like Christ. I will get to someday where the lovely kindness and compassion and purity of motive that christ himself has i'm guaranteed i'm guaranteed of success if i hunger and thirst after righteousness i'm guaranteed i'll be fully satisfied and you'll be fully satisfied you can't lose Look, another scripture that just supports the same truth ephesians 4 13 it says our goal meaning christ followers it should be the goal of every christ follower our goal is to become like a full-grown human man woman mature full-grown human man or woman and what does a full-grown human look like to look just like you tell me so when i'm fully human and fully alive when i'm all grown up when i'm all mature as a human being i'm going to look like christ he's the standard that we measure by of, of what does a whole healthy human being look like to look just like christ to have all his what does it say perfection it's talking about perfection of character now I know right away as soon as some people hear perfection say, oh here you go with that perfection stuff Randy I'm gonna walk around feeling condemned all the time because I'm not perfect no listen we've all learned stuff before how many of you in here know how to tie your shoe can I see your hands all right some of you probably don't even you, you just gave up and see so you wear loafers or slip-ons but and I understand I do I understand but there was a time we're watching somebody trying to teach us it was like oh i'll never be able to do that when you're a little bitty kid and you're like fumbling around and you're tie you get the knots how many can still remember when you're trying to tie and it turns into a big knot and you go see mom dad somebody help me untie this knot so what we once could not do what was once impossible to us we now can do and we do it with ease it's a growth cycle. It's God's 
uh, plan for the way he wants human development to take place I must so trust Christ and I'm willing to do what I initially cannot do but I'm trusting him to enable me progressively to do until I not only can do it I can do it with ease this process of taking on the perfection of Christ I don't do this to earn my way into heaven no 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 I come to Christ as I am broken messed up hungering and thirsting for righteousness I receive his mercy his forgiveness of sins his free gift of eternal life Jesus said in John 10 27 28 he said my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them free gift I give them eternal life if you have put your trust in Christ and become his follower you have in your possession right now eternal life you're as sure of heaven as if you had been there for 20,000 years okay so but once we trust Christ then the gift of God is oh man he starts to work in us and we start developing and we start growing and things we once couldn't do we progressively are able to do and we get to, to catch these glimpses where man I used to react one way to that set of circumstances but I react differently now I'm, I'm starting to see just a glimmer a little bit of glimmer of Christ likeness in me and, and it's just this rush of blessing as we see the slightest growth but God guarantees listen here's what I'm trying to get at every one of us in this room every one of us two things we both need to change there's not one of us in this room that doesn't need to change doesn't need to grow and number two there's not one of us in this room that because of God's grace and his patience and his promise that cannot change and this is really really good news when I'm hungering and I'm thirsting after righteousness and righteousness looks so far from where I am right now I can say it doesn't matter how far it may seem my God is with me he'll never leave me or forsake me he's promised me that the righteousness I hunger and thirst for he will in time bring but, I, but I've got to cooperate with him he wants me to hunger and thirst for it he wants me to want it he doesn't want me to just want heaven he wants me to want righteousness righteousness itself let me go on one more this shows the messy process 2 Corinthians 3.18 it says and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory we're studying Christ we're learning his ways we're learning his will we're learning the way he thinks and feels we're contemplating the Lord's glory our being notice it's a process our being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory notice again it's a progressive process but I have to cooperate with God and part of the cooperation is I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness I want what God wants which comes from the Lord who is the spirit now before I close up some of you inevitably are, are thinking well, Randy what if you don't hunger and thirst after righteousness I mean man I, I just honestly don't care I'm, I'm a busy person I just keep busy and I just do the things that need to be done and I don't even think about this stuff you're talking about so, so what if you never hunger and thirst after righteousness what, what could cause that condition well I'm going to give you two ideas of what I believe causes some people not to hunger and thirst after righteousness um, have you ever had an experience where you go to one of these all-you-can-eat places and you pull out all the stops, man. You're going to get your money's worth. And, and, and so you eat so much food that you literally, when you go home, you have to, you have to sit like this 
for four hours you can't you can't lay down you're like oh lord i'll never do this again if you just keep it down i promise i'll never do this again yeah how, how many have ever been that full you you have just eaten way too much i have when, when there used to be this place chesapeake bay seafood house up here you know all you could eat seafood man i would just it was gluttonous it was sinful so you do that now what, whatever your favorite food might be picture in your mind your very favorite food something that you can't get very often maybe it's very expensive or, but your very favorite food so someone then comes and offers you your very favorite food but you're so stuffed you're, you're like all stiff and you're hoping you're not going to get sick you wouldn't have any appetite for it it might be your very favorite food it might be the thing that you only get once a year because it's so expensive but if I offered it to you for free you would have no appetite for it what I'm saying is some of us our souls we have been feeding them on spiritual junk food knowingly and unknowingly because our culture today just bombards us with spiritual junk food through its messaging processes we're, we're bombarded with messages around the clock we're the only generation that's ever had that experience and, and so our souls are full of junk food so that we we have no appetite for righteousness let me give you one other theory that i have about this <laughs> i think some of us I, i'm gonna offend some of you but i'm just gonna say i think some of us view unrighteousness as this big exciting banquet table it's got all these enticing things you know it's it's got all kinds of food it's got you know big macs and french fries and and god knows only what it's got all this enticing food and then there's this other banquet table it's called the banquet table of righteousness and it looks to us like just a whole table full of saltines it just looks boring you know what i mean saltines are okay if you're sick or something but something's happened to our vision because as i said at the start we're not sufficiently in god's light gaining his perspective we are drawn toward hungry for things that are actually not good for us and the things that are good for us don't look attractive to us so we don't hunger and don't thirst to have righteousness we're, we're so full of keeping those lines in our in our yard that man we don't even care about righteousness some of you know what i'm talking about we're, we're so we're so we're so concerned with the pursuit of our career goals or we're so concerned about that one relationship that we, we just can't get right there's all kinds of things that can get us so full that we have no hunger and thirst after righteousness all right let me land the plane for you here we go spiritual awareness and assurance jesus says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness because man they're awake they see reality and they're blessed because they're assured of having the righteousness they desire kind of try to find what level you might be in here because it doesn't matter what level you are you can always grow you can move level one there's something wrong with the world maybe you've come to grips with that concern at some point level two there's something wrong with me that's harder that's more intense that's more personal if you don't navigate that right you'll live in condemnation if you don't receive god's forgiveness level three there's nothing wrong with me that can't be changed you've got to get there if you're struggling with condemnation you're hungering and thirsting of righteousness you've got to understand god has promised i can grow you can grow we can change you there is no habit that any of us has that we can't with god's grace change but you must take responsibility for that and then the last level there's nothing wrong with the world that won't be changed now that's talking about future tense second coming of christ so what level are you living on what perspective is governing in you governing in me 
And more importantly, the question that we started with, when Jesus looks down into your heart, your soul, my heart, my soul, does he see somebody that is ravenously hungry for his righteousness, dying of thirst for his righteousness? Because such, he says, are blessed ones. So if that describes you, you walk out this door and you don't look at those old condemning photos of yourself that might play again and again in your mind. You see yourself as one that is hungering and thirsting after righteousness and Jesus looks at you and says, you're one of my blessed ones. My eye is on you. My heart is with you. And I'll never forsake you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we don't have to achieve righteousness apart from you for that's an impossibility. But you offer a righteousness that comes from our interaction with you. Help us be those that not only hunger and thirst after righteousness, but manifest and express increasingly your life and your love to the world in which we live. We ask it, Lord Jesus, in your worthy name. Amen.